Namaste everyone, I'm Divya Nagraj and today I have with me a panel of young intellectuals to discuss Rajivji's latest book, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Power. As youngsters, we should be better prepared for a world driven by AI and for that we need to know, what, we need to know the technology for what it is, pros and cons of it. And like all of Rajivji's books that are futuristic, provocative, challenging the established norms of Western universalism, and ahead of time, this one too details what a world dominated by AI in its current form holds for us. So, and uh, I request, uh, thank you Rajivji for engaging with us on this. Thank you, wonderful to have you. And uh, so I invite Shruti, an undergraduate uh, a political science student from Chennai to share her views on the book and pose a question to the author. Namaste. Uh, so I found this book very interesting and engaging because as a youth, this book was very relevant for me because it covered everything what the future holds uh, with AI taking up prominent roles in the society. So my first question is about the first battleground that Rajivji mentions in his book, which is about the jobs. Uh, so he mentions about how there would be several losses in the jobs uh, with AI taking uh, several roles in the society. There's a very interesting uh, thing that he mentions in this book, which I would like to point here. Many workers will be caught mid-career when they expect and need to work for many more years. They will be too young to retire, but too old to retrain easily. Uh, Rajivji, could you please elaborate more on this? Okay. So Shruti, how old are you? Uh, I'm 19 years old. Okay. How old are your parents? Uh, my dad is around 50. My mom, 45. Okay. So now, you see, it's very interesting. So let's take your parents' case. Okay. Now, your dad, your parents need to work another 10, 15 years for normal retirement. But suppose something happened which is sudden, which is sudden to their career, to their industry, and, and the whole line of work goes kaput. Now, people will say that new jobs are also being created, but the new job will be created for you, your generation, because you can learn, you can, you can study, you're still young, you can go and advance yourself. But mom and dad, it's not as easy for them to upskill, because even if they could go back and learn AI or data science, sciences or whatever, they'll be competing against a 19-year-old. And it's not right. I mean, they're not going to be able to downsize their quality of life, stand up living income and compete with, you know, 19, 20 year old. So while they say that it'll kill jobs and also make jobs, the point is it'll disrupt people, especially who are in the mid career, middle of their career, like your parents. It will not be affecting you. If you are well educated, you come from a good background and you have the resources to upskill further, then, you know, you can just go on to the new AI economy. But the old pre-AI economy, like your parents, uh, if they are affected very suddenly, it is not going to be easy for them. And this is something that none of the reports talk about. So I want to talk about things which people don't talk about, don't want to talk about, don't want to face. We have to face those things. So that's why I, I'm bringing it out. And, and uh, the previous industrial revolution also did this. But, you know, the rate of change was slow. You know, when, when farms became automated, it took them many two, three generations to because there's not enough money, capital, machinery. So the, even though technology existed, but to, to, uh, to scale the technology, uh, it took a very long time. So people had enough time to adjust. Today, what happens is a new technology comes, everybody, you know, whether it is TikTok, whether it is Uber, whatever it is, uh, if it catches on, it catches on so fast, the disruption is sudden. So this is the point I'm making in that, in the, in the thing that you quoted. Thank you, Rajivji. And now we have Abhiram from Bangalore, who's a master's student of data science at King's College London. Abhiram, please go ahead. Uh, hello, Rajivji. Uh, this book was um, indeed uh, thought-provoking and eye-opening. Um, as a student myself, uh, I haven't actually um, explored all these topics, although I've been working in artificial intelligence and data science. For quite some time, these uh, topics and the matters that you have brought in this book are extremely thought-provoking and uh, eye-opening. So having said that, I have a question for you. So I want to know what will happen to the youth of India. Will they be adversely affected by the AI revolution? And if they are, is it because of the low standards of education in our country 
or are there any other significant factors? That's a very good point. The obvious reason that the youth will be adversely affected, which everybody already knows about, is that the standard of education is very low. Uh, there's a large amount of unemployment uh, and unemployable youth. Uh, you, you know, there's 17 or 18 million youth every year who enter the job age, age at which they want job. But there are not 17, 18 million new jobs created by the Indian economy. So there, firstly, there's an imbalance between the economic ability to create jobs and the number of people who want those jobs. Supply of jobs, demand for jobs is imbalanced. And this is made worse by the fact that a large number of these people are not well educated. So these are problems that have nothing to do with AI. They already exist. Uh, and AI, AI then makes the problem even worse. So it takes the problem that's there and makes it even worse because the level of expectation by now you're competing globally uh, is going to be much higher. So the amount of people who are undereducated, maybe they're educated by Indian definition that if you can read and write your name, that means you're educated. That's the definition. So, but that's not enough, you know, nowhere close to enough. So this education issue is one. What is not well understood, what is new and original in this book is another factor, different factors. So please listen to this one carefully. This has to do with emotional weakness. Our people are emotionally weak. They're not psychologically strong. I mean, you have to make them feel good. They want, uh, we are winning the cricket match. We are singing this song. We are great. We are blaming others for our problems. Uh, you know, the, our devtas are great. Our, we have all this thing happening on the world stage. India is shining. We have super guru and all. This is the way, this is a nasha, a kind of an intoxicant that has been fed by, in my opinion, irresponsible leaders. Irresponsible leaders feeding the youth to make them feel good rather than pushing them hard and saying work. You got to work, improve your discipline. Uh, you know, you, you, you have higher standard of rigor. China went through a few generations, two generations of very tough, demanding standards of their youth. Two generations with the danda. Now, I'm not saying we have to be dictatorial, but I'm saying that they put tough discipline. And we've had this in our tradition. You look at Dronacharya in Mahabharata. He's a tough taskmaster. He's not some easy guy, make you feel good and all that. He's a tough taskmaster. No nonsense. He'll make you work. So we haven't had the Dronacharya type, uh, you know, strictness, toughness to demand high standard of uh, people. Too many netas going around, too many of these Hindutva leaders in social media and, and uh, these channels, basically in the blame game of others, other people are to blame for all our problems. Not, not holding our own people accountable. You know, most of them, they want followers and the followers will come if you make them feel good. If I need a lot of followers, I know exactly how to do it. If I, if I have a tough talk, very few people will view and send it and share it. Uh, they're afraid. They don't want to deal with it. So there's a psychological weakness of our people. The, we are not able to sh uh, face things in a straight way. And we'd rather, we'd rather escape into some kind of a feel-good mode. This is, this is a dangerous thing because those people who are vulnerable to this feel-good dependency and who are not able to face a problem, they're like children, you know. You, you can't tell a child the truth because he'll get scared and you don't want to put him into fear. So you keep pampering him and you keep, you know, kind of treating him in a way that, you know, he can't really face it. But these are adult problems. These are not problems that are, require a childish mind. These are adult problems. They're serious problems. So we need mature people, tough people, psychologically tough people to face them. And then we are, we are brilliant civilization. We can deal with it. But pampering people into a, into a kind of a moron, dumbed down, uh, emotionally weak uh, mode, which is what our leaders have done. And this is especially dangerous in a democracy because in a democracy, you need them to give you a vote. And whether the person is brilliant or whether the person is stupid, they got the same one vote. So the, because a large number of people are not very bright and not well educated and they're emotionally uh, you know, too emotional, therefore the tendency for leaders is to cater to dumb down talk and give them slogans and big hopes, big promises. Now, if you go back and look at promises over, you know, many years, they, they, they haven't been achieved. You know, they haven't been achieved. And people, there are very few taskmasters who will hold them accountable. So people just go for the latest promise, the latest feel good. I think this is something that makes our youth quite vulnerable. 
compared to say the Chinese who are quite rugged, quite tough, Chinese are used to facing hardship. When I talk to Chinese, they tell me that, look, one of their strengths is they have faced a lot of hardships emotionally, psychologically, with no room to escape. The only remedy given to them for the hardships they're facing is work hard, hard work. So they are hardworking people and, and our people are lazy and, you know, they'll get by with uh, just, uh, you know, be talk to the guy, suck up to him, some leader, some neta or some parent figure or whoever, just be nice to them and they'll pat your back and you touch their feet. And, but, you know, all that is good aesthetics. It's good emotions. From a pragmatic point of view, in a comparative world, it doesn't cut it. So I, I feel that our youth are not well-groomed and well-educated from a psychological strength point of view. And this is sad because yoga is supposed to make you psychologically strong. The remedy for this is if you meditate, if you are anchored, if you are still, if you felt the stillness and the anand inside, you will be unshakable. Then from that foundation of, of being in a, in a, uh, you know, in a stillness, the yogic stillness of mind and, st and, and stability of mind, you'll be able to calmly see whatever is going on without it fearing, putting fear in you, without toppling you over, without disrupting your equilibrium. That is what the yogi is supposed to be. So our civilization has a remedy for this, but it has not been implemented. It has not been, I don't see this happening. When I see the rowdiness of the youth, when I see the kind of comments all over social media, which are very low IQ, very stupid, just basically chasing silly things here and there. That's not the sign of a yogic civilization. So the problem of the youth is basically betrayal of our own civilizational values. Uh, thank you, Rajivji. That was quite uh, insightful and also uh, very honest. Yeah. Thank you. Over to you, Divya. Okay. Now, Pratik. Pratik is an undergraduate engineering student of artificial intelligence, and he is also our intern at Infinity Foundation. Pratik, over to you. Hi, Namaste, Rajivji. I'm very grateful for being able to interact with you. So I joined Infinity Foundation as an intern at the time this book was about to get launched. Since then, being involved has really shaped my views and mindset on AI and its future implications. And as a student of artificial intelligence, uh, this book is basically a mind game changer for me. So I would like to start with my first question. Uh, with the recent WhatsApp privacy policy uh, controversy, most, most people seem to be uh, concerned with data privacy. Still, you raise a deeper issue of uh, how data is being exploited, especially that of poor developing countries. Let me read out an interesting quote from your book, rich countries led by the United States aggressively complain about stolen intellectual property, but they have conveniently avoided classifying data as intellectual property. Could you give us a snapshot of how data is being exploited and why data needs to be classified as intellectual property? Very good. This is a very smart question. I'm very impressed by the level of thinking and uh, uh, you know, in, uh, interrogation that these guys are subjecting me to. Very good. I'm glad we have uh, young interns, bright people like you. So, you know, the, every time I complain about the data issue, People start giving examples of privacy that, you know, they're violating my privacy, but that's only one little thing. So that can be solved very easily because uh, uh, the, these uh, data companies are saying that the people who are gathering all this data, they're, they're able to say that we make the data anonymous. So the data about Pratik will not mention his name. It will not say Pratik, it'll just be number. The data about Rajiv will not mention my name. So there is privacy because if you leak out, that there is a there's a kid of age this and he's an engineering student and he does this and his behavior is this and he eats this ice cream and he watches these videos. I mean, the point is we are not violating your privacy under privacy laws as long as we are not mentioning your name. If this is some random person. So it's called anonymizing means make it anonymous. And the Indian laws have accepted anonymizing is a good solution, acceptable solution for privacy. Now, this is silly because even if you anonymize it, you, uh, the, the privacy issue is gone. The point is that the value of the data in being able to extract intelligence out of it, in extract, learn, train your algorithms, that is still going on. The training the algorithms about how people behave in this case, how people behave in that case, how young people behave, uh, does not depend on their identity. You don't need to know their names. If you want to find out in a certain c c culture, 
how will young people respond to x fake fake news or y fake news how will they respond if the if the model whose advertising is a blonde or a dark skin person or a chinese looking person what percent of the people are likely to say yes no that doesn't require knowing their names doesn't require knowing their names you just require uh, you just require a lot of data you can make it anonymous and not breach any privacy and yet you can get value out of it so you know which treatment will work if you go to a uh, you know so many people have been given this uh, when they do medical trial for a drug you don't need to know the names of people you don't need to know the name you just need to know something about them that this person had a diabetes type 2 diabetes if this age this gender and and is a vegetarian and eats this that and so if you have all this data about a person but you've eliminated their name and their identity the point is you're still getting the value you're still getting the value of using that data to develop very sophisticated algorithms you know which could be treatments it could be drug discovery it could be psychological models on how to bring that culture down it could be a model on how to convert those people suppose somebody has done uh, this kind of research in punjab which they did on young people who are on uh, alcohol and drugs and uh, they uh, you know they out of work because of all kind of disruption in their agriculture over the last you know 10 15 years it became the fastest uh, conversion to christianity anywhere in india is in punjab because because they were able to figure out Uh, and train their algorithms on where they are vulnerable what kind of kids are vulnerable what kind of background what story to tell them what message works what message on a scale 0 to 10 what message is level 2 which what message works at level 7 what message is short term what message is long term the whole procedure of a, of a conversion the whole narrative of, of conversion has been turned into algorithms so this is it doesn't require knowing the name of that fellow Uh, if you got and uh, collected data on hundreds of people thousands of people and your machine is becoming better and better because you're giving your machine feedback on you know if i try this it responds this way if i try that then the response is not as good if if this this is how machines learn through big data being thrown lot of responses and the response is analyzed feedback is given to the machine it will either do more of something because it works or it will do less of something that's a that's kind of machine learning another kind of machine learning is discovery uh, where it is unsupervised and it is just figuring out patterns you do not need to know the names of people to get the value so when if uh, making it anonymous is only solving one problem of privacy it is not solving the problem that this is intellectual property you are developing your intellectual property using our data as raw material and so if you're taking our raw material and using that for this kind of discovery we don't own any patent out of it we don't own any equity share it's all belongs to you and you are then going to use it against us you're going to use it to manipulate us that's the other part of it there is no law in india which says that if you use our data and train your machines then you better not use it against us there is no law like that so you know we are being used like guinea pigs they are they are gamifying us they are making us play and learning from from that and just making is making our stupid leaders happy that it is privacy privacy does not solve the problem and i'm glad you asked this question thank you rajiv ji that was very insightful i hope the policy makers are listening to this and also you you discuss digital colonization how digital colonization particularly affects india and you also compare digital platforms to the return of the east india company and let me read out a relevant quote from the book If a digital platform company champions specific values which are invariably based on its civilizational ethos whatever those values might be it cannot be considered neutral so when you say a digital platform built on certain civilizational ethos could you give us some example and elaborate more on that okay so let's take a hypothetical case that uh, uh, you know somebody uh, when i when i post something uh, and it refers to uh, you know islam uh you know facebook sends me this notice saying that this violates uh, cultural practices social values because it's their social values uh somebody puts in a similar post and it criticizes hindus uh it it says hindus are chauvinistic these brahmanical people uh, they have this caste system uh you know uh, it doesn't ban that it in fact boosts it so somebody has decided what what are the values that they like or don't like some some basic narratives have been put in there uh, if i say that islam's ashraf versus ajlaf is a very abusive caste system it is not likely to go through it will go through in the margins 
or if i'm a very famous person if it is narendra modi doing it or somebody like that doing it and they they also calculate what's the power of this person what is his privilege different people on different accounts have been given different privileges based on their status because this fellow we better not knock him down he might block us because he's very powerful this other fellow has no power we can do what we want so the algorithms look at many variables don't tell me that you know some some big netas and leaders are able to do all this and get away with it the point is that true indology cannot i cannot you will not be able to so the algorithms are are smart in all of this if you take an algor if you take a critical message and have five versions of it one is the same thing about hindus or same thing next is about muslim same thing about christians same thing about jews same thing about leftists and marxists and all that and you have five different versions and i put them up these five versions you have many many different people you have a muslim person put it, put it up you have a christian person put it up somebody from india put it up somebody from uh, russia put it up china put it up all kind of places put up so each each person puts up many different kinds of messages but ultimately underneath they are saying the similar thing the algorithm will not treat them the same it will not my message will be treated differently based on which culture i'm criticizing your message will be treated differently it has to do with which culture i'm criticizing it also has to do with my profile how they what they their map of me what to look out for about me what where they feel that oh this guy is a likely person to say these things we give we are very strict looking for that you know so this is a this is an example of uh, how the the culture the culture is part of the uh, hidden bias in the algorithm these algorithms have bias so let's say let's say the machine learning were done by some uh, iranian or let's say it was done by the saudis where where you know women have to wear a hijab and uh, if a woman is going uh, wearing a bikini on the street uh, their algorithm will block it they will say that this is against cultural norms because according to their cultural norms it is true so but the same kind of woman walking down the streets in paris uh, would be considered fine by the french uh, if the french were uh, applying their machine learning so let's say uh, machine learning uh, is done by training uh, training the machine with millions and millions of examples called big data lot of people's pictures are being sent and this person is a beautiful person this person is a good person this person is a bad person a criminal person so this machine looks at the faces the shapes Uh, what kind of clothes they are wearing what kind of uh, race they are and correlating with who's considered good who's considered bad blacks have complained in the united states that because uh, because a lot of the uh, big data which they used for training uh, showed blacks in a poor light uh, and 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 showed them to be criminals or less honest and not trustworthy therefore many of these algorithms are anti black and therefore when they when they are screening job interviews and these algorithms are being used to screen candidates for jobs you know they tend to reject a lot of blacks because the algorithm assumes that these guys are not right uh, so the uh, then the, then these feminists uh, have uh, complained that there is gender bias in some of these uh, is algorithms now if in the western world a very hot topic of conversation today is algorithmic bias ai and bias they are talking about bias of this kind racial bias against blacks or gender bias and so on then on what basis would you think that there is no bias against on faith obviously there is bias on faith also if there is bias on many other things there is bias on faith and we know it from experience but there is nobody in india who's done this deep research i am pointing this out the ngos haven't done it the hindutva leaders are full of all kind of glory and uh, they they are gradually appropriating my work but it takes them time <laughs> so right now they are silent because they haven't yet figured it out but in a matter of days weeks they'll all be all over the place these hindu channels will be out there with ai and big data and machine learning and you will see that all these uh, famous uh, channels that have come out you know in the last 10 years from the breaking india thesis they will now all jump on to the ai bandwagon that will be the future <laughs> so i my job is to train and educate them and their job is to then take it and glorify themselves and try to dismiss me or put me leave me aside but the point i'm making is the bias based on cultural values metaphysical assumptions on on basic uh, basic narratives of a civilization are deeply embedded in the ai systems 
in the way machine learning happens, in the way they define criteria of good and bad culture and whatnot, social norms. And this is something our people have not figured out. Our government hasn't figured out. Our government hasn't said that all you foreign, all you American social media people are accountable in India for Indian norms. And we're going to set up hearings in India and Indian courts and any Indian should be able to go there and file a case. And then you guys have to defend yourself or, or be held liable. We don't have that. We are just a bunch of colonized people looking up to these devatas, Google devata, this Zuckerberg and Facebook devata and Twitter devata. We have to be very glad because they're giving me retweets and they're giving me views. And so I'm more popular than this other fellow and I better not rock the board. I better follow what they want. So this is, this is a sign of a colonized people. Right. These are very serious issues and it's strange that we haven't questioned this until now. Like the 1.3 billion people have accepted this. It's a very serious issue. What I'm saying is that uh, many of the people who've got millions of, uh, you know, Twitter followers uh, who are basically championing Twitter, championing Facebook, championing YouTube channels because it is better than mainstream. So, right, it is better than mainstream. So we've jumped from mainstream, but we've jumped onto a superior uh, platform, which gives us freedom to keep talking and exposing our likes, our dislikes. What they, they know a profile of every single one. They know a detailed profile of uh, what this person is all about. I, I am also guilty, but I'm conscious of my guilt. I'm conscious of that. I'm, I have supplied them with a lot of data about myself, but every time I type, I'm very conscious that this will go into the algorithm. I'll never get it out of the algorithm. They, they can make it anonymous, doesn't matter. But they've understood the way my thinking works, right? So our leaders are built, are standing on a stage, on a, on a stage on which they're performing. They're, they're not tanky, they're gymnastics, they're tamasha, whatever they're doing, that infighting with each other, they're performing on a stage which is owned by someone else. Someone else is owns all the cameras that is watching them. Someone else is pro, uh, figuring out the algorithms to figure, uh, study them and understand them. Someone else also controls the strings by which they are being pulled. And at any moment, uh, they can be stopped. They can be brought down in terms of how many likes they'll get and how, how, how widely their message will be broadcast. Sometimes it will be broadcast more. Sometimes it will be broadcast less. It will also keep them confused. You see that the algorithm knows that it should not be transparent. Algorithm doesn't want to be transparent so that you cannot understand the algorithm. This is very interesting. Divya should not understand the algorithm. The algorithm should understand Divya. Because, you know, if you understand the algorithm, you can also reverse the game. You can say, I will do like this. I will do like that. They keep changing the algorithm. So if you say, okay, search engine optimization, these are the keywords that are doing well. After a while, they may not be the right keywords. If they, if, if they tell you that short messages are good, uh, short videos are good. After a while, you know, they need longer videos. The, the algorithm is keeping you guessing. And, and you will not understand how the algorithm works. That's part of the strategy. The, the, the person who is in control, the boss, the one who wants to have mind control over you should be someone you can't figure out. You just have to give in to him. After trying your best to figure out, you just have to surrender and say, okay, you are the devata. I'll just do what you tell me to do. That means they've broken you. They've broken your free will. They've broken your agency. And you now become a digital slave. Wow. Very insightful. Thank you, Rajivji. Pratik, over to you. In one of your battlefields, you talk about people getting dumber and machines getting smarter. You term it as modernization of the masses. This is a big problem in India. Do you think the development of Dharmic Indic databases could help solve the problem? Or is this dependence on technology a much larger issue at hand? So this is a good, good question. Uh, machines are getting smarter. Everybody says, yeah, we know that. But people getting dumber, they don't want to hear. <laughs> and the thing is, the two are together. You know, the machine is smarter then I'm dependent on this machine. I'm dependent on Google Devta to search and tell me what to what I should know. Uh, I'm dependent on Siri. I'm dependent on all these kind of things. And so obviously they're smarter and they're able to figure me out and they're able to, to give me what I, need, what I should be believing. And so I'm getting dumber relative to these machines. Now, the, the point is this. It has to do with education problem. It has to do with mental and psychological weakness of our people. But it also has to do with lack of uh, our own people having developed AI. 
using our own foundation, our own social norms. Why is it that such a large number of uh, Indians, young people studying AI, data sciences, in fact, they came to me and said, we already know what you're writing. Why are you writing this book? We already know. I said, no, no, you don't know. Don't think about what I'm writing because I'm not writing about how to do AI in a, in a mechanical way. I'm making you think deeper. So why is it that such a large number of people, lakhs of Indians who are into this field, who are also into dharma, some of them are Sanskrit experts. I've interviewed people who are Sanskrit experts and also claim to be AI experts, but they've never connected. They've never connected how our Shastra could be the foundation, how our Shastra could be the foundation on which machine learning happens. Uh, so this idea of, a, you know, there is an invisible narrative, which gives a kind of an invisible unconscious bias that is very hard to pinpoint, but it is there. Blacks are pinpointing it. Women are from feminists are pinpointing it. Muslims are pinpointing that this machine learning is against them and they're raising hell. They're raising hell. And these, uh, these AI uh, giants are on the defensive. They're on the defensive. Some of them are getting litigated and sued. There's not a single public interest litigation in India on behalf of the Hindus, not a single against all these guys. Why have I have proposed this? Why not somebody file a public interest litigation against, uh, you know, Twitter, systematic bias against Hindu culture. Why not file that? It takes courage. Okay. It takes, but our leaders are sold out, uh, even including the leaders who ought to be filing themselves are sold out because they're dependent on Twitter Devta. So the, the uh, problems are partly lack of dharmic values being embedded in the machine learning, but partly they are also bigger than that, that we are afraid, we have inferiority complex, we don't want to face these people. The government is also sold out. The government is sold out on this. The government is sold out. Niti Aayog, when you look at their strategies on AI, who writes it for them? If they bring in McKinsey, they bring in Google people, they bring in all these kind of Western consulting companies to help them, educate them. It's like how to solve our problem. The dominant culture, the colonizers are tutoring us like we are bachas and fools and we can't figure it out. Most of the Indian industrialists are so dependent on the Western clients because they send, they send them outsourcing data. I mean, they sell, they sell them consulting software. Uh, they do projects for these people. They're not going to go against them. They're not going to go against them. They're not going to go against Harvard because they want their son in Harvard. They want their nephew to go to Harvard. They want to be celebrated when they go to Harvard to be having a nice photo op with the dean or somebody. They want to fund a chair in the, with their family name on it. So they want this as part of the reputation building, as part of their own public relations and, and publicity. They want Harvard to be on their side. Our ministers want to go there and, and give a talk here and give a talk there. They'll never criticize. They'll never really put them them on the spot because then they won't get invited again. So it is a large number of problems that our country faces. And believe me, I, I, it's very sad. The conclusion I reached, India is not going to make it. That's my conclusion because of all these factors. And it, and it is not 50 years away within this decade. We, by 2030, the cracks on India's sovereignty will start showing up. It will become common discussion. It's a very sad situation. I don't think that this problem can be solved. It's gone too far and the leaders are not listening. I have spent five years while researching this book, privately going around Delhi everywhere, whoever will listen to me go, you know, as if I'm a beggar, I'm helping them. It's their job. They are being paid for it. I'm just a regular fellow giving up everything to try and help them, but they're not listening. They will give nice hospitality. They'll give me nice, you know, make me feel good and all, praise, good, all that stuff, promise all kind of things they'll do, but they're not, they don't do anything. After the meeting is over, no, hardly any follow-up. I mean, they're too busy writing uh, with elections and their own internal politics and their own personal career. I did not find, I did not find people who had the authority to be able to understand this, stick their neck out, take their risk, take ownership, help me out. I, I'm there. I have been there to, to do my best, but I gave up. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to write a book and put it out in front of the public. Thank you, Rajivri. Shruti, over to you. Uh, so I'm a political science student. 
and uh, when i study the theories that are put for us in political science they're all viewed from a very western perspective uh, from a very western lens uh, the theories of uh, the postmodernism liberalism are all from a very uh, from a western narrative uh, so this brings me uh, to uh, a point that you mentioned in your book liberalism is now at a new threshold of self defeat with the advent of ai Uh, so postmodernism has created disrespect and cynicism towards all grand narratives, and social media has furthered this trend by relativizing knowledge. And facts have become nothing more than popular opinions. So, as the generation of youth, there is a general fear among us because we are so much dependent on social media for our facts. We are we are very concerned that this whole narrative making, uh, which will be controlled by AI, can uh, can control what should be the narratives and uh, what should be the facts and truth uh, so your take on this so we are going from post modernism to post truth we are going to the post truth generation where there is no such thing as truth now it's your opinion my opinion it's you got more likes so your opinion must be valid you are you are influencing the algorithm because they, they you have more clout over the algorithm than i do so you know algorithm now start taking your idea and spreading it this is very dangerous this is so dangerous uh, th- this means that the adhikar adhikaris are no longer our our adhikaris uh, gurus are also confused and lost in all this they have not uh, understood even forget standing up to it and doing something uh, which may may cost them some popularity and they've been given so much reward award uh, uh, lifted up the clouds but they haven't done their job which they're supposed to do so they are also going they are also lost they are also ignorant people this is the the what we are heading towards is a kind of a dictatorship of algorithms where uh, under in, it look like we are helping you we are giving you free services now the algorithm the machine learning is also doing good things that is the uh, tricky part it is also it's like somebody who's your boss and dictator and uh, uh, brutally uh, you know colonizing you is also very generous giving you a lot of food also is helping you with medicines he's giving you all kind of facilities that you did not have so how are you going to complain so this this ai revolution is giving you medical treatment is giving you farming technology is giving you so much comfort and so many movie streaming services that will figure out what your likes are and send you send you those things you'll have soon you'll have variables augmented reality and you'll be able to go into escapist areas you'll be able to learn teaching you education so it's giving you on the one hand a huge amount of value on the other hand it's extracting this price and kind of also making a slave out of you dependency out of you so how how are we going to fight it it is this is this is this requires very bright people who have courage clarity who put a lot of hard work into it and i don't think we have that that is my concern uh, rajiv in relation to that question uh, since ai was developed on the western models so much of humanism and liberalism but now like you, like shruti pointed out and it's as you've raised in the book it's self defeating and it's hypocritical that nobody is raising concerns especially the liberal camp so you know the thing is this uh, liberals are supposed to liberate us that from um, conservative thinking right what has happened is the it is the a certain tier of liberals not necessarily the li- uh, masses certain tier of liberals who've gotten control of this technology become super rich put their own ideology into this okay and so this has become like the future of re- liberalism and this future of liberalism is going to lead towards eventually it will lead towards uh devaluing human labor devaluing human will agency free thought somebody is going to make you feel that you are free thinking but actually it's dummy you're dummy just talking to yourself in an echo chamber you're really not articulating freely because it's all rigged it's a it's a system where you are being gamified and the game is rigged it is not an honest game it is a rigged game so and you have no way of telling you have no way of telling and you can't even you have no rights who do you go to so this kind of a thing is very manipulative psychologically this is the whole uh, battleground 3 and this is the whole uh, chapter 4 of the book is all about this which i think is the most important chapter 
And that is the thing that most of our people don't talk about. They only talk about either jobs or they talk about privacy and so on, but they don't really talk about hacking the mind. So this is ultimately not true to the spirit of liberalism. It is, it is a hypocrisy. It is not really truly liberating because liberating would mean that they should help you develop your own, own free will, your own ideas, your own. You get that illusion that you are because you can keep typing away. You can keep bashing people. So you get the freedom, the feeling that, you know, I'm liberated because I'm able to do all this. But how, how much of it travels versus somebody else's view, which may be opposed to yours, depends on the algorithm deciding. Algorithm is sitting there like the judge adjudicating and say, okay, more traffic. This one goes more traffic. This one gets less traffic. This is, a, this is kind of a, the, what has happened to liberalism. So I would say liberalism itself has been hijacked. Liberalism itself has been hijacked. So as you devalue humans for work, labor, and also for their mind, because more and more of this can be substituted by algorithms, at some point in time, humans will be considered useless or a liability. And there could be a possibility or a discussion about depopulation. So what does, where does that, that uh, what does that have to do with liberalism then? It is exactly the opposite of liberalism. Humanism is the mother of liberalism because humanism was this idea that, okay, we don't need, need God. We don't want to talk about what God wrote in the Bible and nobody has proof of it. So it is us humans who matter and it's our values. It's our science. It's our understanding that matters. And this humanism produced liberalism, produced the scientific revolution of free thought, and so much good came out of it. So many discoveries in the last four or 500 years. The success of science, modern science in the West, and the success of the technology built on this modern science has, been, has made things so powerful in favor of this liberal scientific uh, thinking uh, that uh, and, you know, they've now got all this power. So the, the point, but the point is, the reason it is self-defeating, in, in my thesis, the reason this liberalism is self-defeating is that it has now gone so far that in fact it is defeating liberalism's own premises. It is defeating liberalism's own foundation. It's defeating liberalism's own goal because it's leading towards an, an artificial concentration of power with a few people and, and, and algorithms being sort of the, their, their front. Uh, right now, I, I had a discussion with my publisher and I said, why is uh, uh, Amazon saying that the book is out of print, out of, out of stock? And you're telling me you got so many thousand copies sitting there, but here's a snapshot a screenshot. Uh, people are hearing this from Amazon. Uh, the guy says, oh, it, it, everything is fine. It's just the algorithm doing it. As if algorithm some kind of God. Who, what algorithm doing it? It, it? Whose algorithm? You cannot absolve yourself of responsibility by saying, you know, it's not my fault, my algorithm doing it. But that is being accepted. People are accepting that this algorithm is some kind of some above all the rules and laws and norms and some algorithm doing it. So we can't really do anything, sir. Kya kare? Algorithm done it, you know. And so this is, we have accepted the algorithm as a devata. And this is a very bad thing. That is why we are morons. Right. These are some profound observations, Rajivji. Thank you. And uh, over to Abhiram. So Rajivji, you have written that Western consumerism is now fully entrenched in India's culture, especially among the young and urban population. Indians have visibly been influenced by Western values such as instant gratification and the use of credit to live beyond their means, which were once decreed in Indian society. So can you throw more light on this, Rajivji? Yeah, so the Indian values were not about uh, borrowing and a credit card and living beyond your means. And if you're making X, but you spend two X because you buy on installments, that's not Indian values. And Indian values of, uh, uh, you know, living within your means and also not being too much of a consumerist. This consumerism uh, is, is a real serious issue for our culture. Now, in our culture, calm, earth, Dharma, moksha, they're all fine. They all, so if you put moksha aside and say, okay, as far as the lived life is concerned, it is earth, calm, and dharma. The, found, the foundation of earth and calm have to be dharma. Earth means material wealth, calm means pleasure. They are not banned. So we are not some kind of a culture which says you can't have pleasure. We are not some kind of a culture which says you got to be poor and you can't have earth. So we are allowed to have calm. 
and we are allowed to have earth and we are human beings and we need all that we are we are that's that's our nature we need earth which means prosperity and wealth we need calm which means pleasures sensory pleasures so now the point is that the earth and calm have to be on a foundation of dharma they cannot be disconnected on a dharma foundation there are teachings on what is responsible way of getting earth what is responsible way of getting calm so long as you are getting your material prosperity through dharmic means so long as you are getting your pleasures through dharmic means it's fine after all we have nat shastra we have all kind of uh, smritis and shrutis and uh, i mean smritis and uh, sutras all kind of uh, uh, texts uh, you know different shastras on earth on kaam so it is not that uh, we have to live a life with no pleasures and no wealth and all that we bunch of poor people and all that is not what i'm saying but the the foundation of dharma is on which you are going to do these things which is what not what not happening now so the modern consumerism is a lifestyle of chasing earth and calm without the dharma it is disconnected the dharma thrown it away and is just chasing the earth and calm so the the modern uh, this ai system modern consumerism the digital economy is all maximizing your pursuit of earth and calm without the dharma being a factor so it is making you more dependent like an intoxicant like an addiction is making you more dependent on these extra external uh, temptations go here go do this chase this chase that go this guy will retweet you this guy will support you uh, this guy is upset at you all this addiction to social media is increasing our youth's dependency on earth and calm without the dharma and that kind of a consumerism is not good for our values this is that will lead to destruction it will lead to slavery we are neither here nor there we are neither properly dharmic and pursuing a life based on that nor are we properly westernized and americanized and nor are we ever going to be to be able to say okay now we have abandoned the old traditional ways of our forefathers and we become fully americanized and so what we don't need the old ways that's not going to be viable given india's population density given the shortage of capital given the whole history of who we are uh, we are not meant to uh, become americanized we will be mixed here there little bit here little bit there not properly anchored in our own tradition and not properly anchored in the western tradition that's what's happening so the consumerist because consumerism is a kind of exploitation uh, people are going to make people are making billions out of uh, the average person putting people into debt okay giving them this habit their dependency on on all these kind of things which are not sustainable if you look at the per capita consumption of americans in different ways different kind of things and you say okay you take 1.3 billion indians and if they start having the same per capita consumption of all those things you will need india to be the 10 times bigger in land you will need a huge country lot more resources lot more capital which we don't have so we are give, like take let's take automobile if you take the percentage of uh, the the population of cars in proportion to the american population and you apply the same to india and say okay indians will have the same proportion then you know the uh, the size of uh, the size of uh, you will need not six lane highways but 50 lane highways maybe more and you india will turn into a parking lot whole india will turn into a parking lot how how are you going to have so many cars how will the energy come from whether it is uh, uh, petroleum or uh, electric whatever it is it it be it the, where will so much capital come from where will so much buying power come from so you know if we chase the american lifestyle whether it is automobiles whether it is something else you know whatever uh, it is not possible for india to develop that scale so you will have haves and have nots maybe instead of 10 million haves it's 100 million haves maybe instead of 100 million haves it will be 200 million you can keep increasing it but is not going to reach 1.6 1.7 billion because that's the population of india which will be by 20 by the second half of this century so to scale things on an american consumerist level is infeasible in india not feasible and nor is it desirable and nor is it compatible with our our values so this is this is chasing somebody else's rainbow 
it's an illusionary rainbow that this is out there i'll go running after this rainbow and there's a pot of gold at the end but that is not so thank you rajiv that makes a lot of sense over to you dibra uh rajiv ji another important issue you raise is the creation of a class of social media celebrities who become popular overnight and you term this instant social media popularity as a false barometer of success and also promoting mediocrity let me read out this quote from the book digital users artificially inflate their egos through social media platforms like facebook and twitter with instant popularity measured by the number of likes or followers sometimes running into millions so when you say artificially inflate their egos what exactly do you mean and also could you tell us how this model promotes mediocrity over meritocracy good two part question so the artificial inflation of egos is uh, you know how how well i did in the eyes of the social media uh, in the eyes of uh, people are going to judge me and say you know this thing did very well got so many views and this got so many retweets and go follow that guy he's got a lot of uh, followers you know he's got a lot of subscribers go on his channel so the criteria of uh, you know who's doing well whether it's for matrimonial purposes whether it's for job purposes whether it is for you know the chances of getting a movie deal or a book deal for an author uh, whether it is political you know uh, prospects or uh, seem to depend on depend on these kind of criteria so we are we've sold out and then these criteria are in the hands of an algorithm and these algorithms are controlled by somebody else which was not even in our in the country uh, this is this is slavery this is slavery and then the the second part of the the second issue is how what was the second part how does this model promote mediocrity over mediocrity. meritocracy right so the first part is the false sense of success a false sense of success and uh, ego uh, being catered to by these algorithms that is the first part mediocrity means that you know i may have a very high merit original thinking book with lot of good ideas but 20 other people who didn't do that tapasya don't have half half they don't even have a fraction of that knowledge they can just spin a few ideas out of my book come up with very nice nice sounding uh, videos they will get a lot more followers they have the they have the presence they know how to market themselves promote themselves they know how to do all that and they have the gift of the gab and so rather than basing on meritocracy the followers will go there i have people supporting the foundation used to support the foundation telling me now we're going to support so and so because actually he he seems to be better and i have to tell them that this guy actually learned it from us in uh, so there this is a very this is lack of meritocracy it's a lack of meritocracy in the eyes of the public as to where they go it's lack of meritocracy in as determined by funding agencies and donors it is government whom they give importance to whom they invite whom they listen to uh, if a person is more famous in the social media then you know even the government will like you more they will they will recognize you more because you must be an important person so the whole system of evaluating ourselves and the way the establishment evaluates us has become fake and and that is that is the destruction that is one of the reasons india is failing india will fail because it's lost its bearings india is india is going to become a failed state and indians don't want to hear this but mark my words you people are young whether i'm around or not it'll happen within 10 years it'll certainly happen in your life that people in india will start realizing that we've been we've been following the wrong bandwagon all these years chasing some thing that is not real and they have made a fool out of us this is a very serious problem and so to solve this problem you got to first of all swallow some bitter medicine you got to take some bitter pills you know you got to you got to accept that all this is wrong and you got to restore meritocracy our tradition our tradition calls for success based on meritocracy the whole karma system the whole karma system is a meritocracy it says that you will get you should get what you deserve not what somebody else did and you took those ideas and made it your own it is not like that it, it, so but the social media and ai based algorithm based manipulation and you can you can kind of get ahead if you know how the media works how the algorithm works and you can be very clever about it that is not meritocracy that is just chalaki cunning right. so we have replaced uh, we we think that uh, cunningness has been uh, is a substitute for uh, wisdom and intelligence and merit that's a problem that's indeed a very serious problem 
Thanks, Rajivji. Now, when you talk about battleground one and two, which is a physical body, battleground one talks about economy, jobs, infrastructure. You know, are we? You know, how good are we in terms of wealth, earth? How good are we in that sense? And uh, it is the internal health, the strength at a physical level that the battleground one talks about. So battlegrounds one referring to sthul sharir, internal strength inside my body as a rashtra. Battleground two talking about sthul sharir, strength externally, vis-a-vis -vis external enemies, external threats. Will the external cold or weather or will the external germs and viruses take, take over? That is what battleground two does uh, in terms of the rashtra. Uh, will China, Pakistan invade us? That kind of thing. Sukshma Sharir at the inner inner level of psychology also has a battleground three and a battleground four. Now, battleground three and four are different in the sense while they both pertain to psychology and mind and all that, battleground three is more how I project myself externally to society, uh, am I, my agency, my control over others. Uh, how they see me, how I see myself, what's my relationship with other people, and am I being hacked? Am I, are they making me behave a certain way? Uh, am I, are my actions, external actions, such that they are decoding me, they're watching me, they're learning, they're training their algorithms about me? So battleground three is the psychological, mental, emotional state of the mind as it relates to society. And battleground four is adhyatmic, me as myself. In myself, am I, am I going within to find Anand or am I wearing these uh, augmented reality goggles and getting my pleasure externally through various images and buttons that somebody else is pushing? Is, am I losing my selfhood? Am I, is the self being broken up into different pleasure boxes, pleasure departments that are all being hacked and given some pleasures and that I'm calling myself? So that's the deeper crisis within. The battleground three is an external crisis in my relationship in the world. And battleground four is an internal crisis by my, inside my own self. These are the, if you look at uh, the Stool Sharir of uh, India Rashtra and the Sukshma Sharir of India Rashtra, there is a lot of vulnerability. But then you, people keep saying, okay, but uh, you know, the devatas are going to support, uh, save us. We have been told all this. So now we have to look at the current Sharir. Have we done the karma to deserve being okay? Or do we really, from a karmic point of view, deserve to be on merit basis because karma is merit? Do we deserve to be the Vishwaguru? Or are we becoming Vishwakulis? Are we becoming Kulis of the world based on our karma? And, and this has to do with, uh, are we living off of other people's merit? Uh, are we, do we, have we really done the tapasya, the hard work uh, that is needed? So if you take the stress test I have done in this book and you stress test India at a physical level of security and strength and all that, both in terms of economy, jobs and also external military defense. And then you look at the stress test psychologically, both in terms of the agency and, free, and, and being clear about our values and clear about our grand narrative and, and using our grand narrative, operating from that and not, or versus are we sucking up to other people's consumerism and their habits, and also then going deeper into the notion of self, who we are. If you look at the, the Sukshmi Shari like that, and then you look at the Karan Shari and say, yeah, the, our, from a purely karmic point of view, we've been destroying nature, We've been having all kinds of human rights problems. We have been having human rights problems. The way women are treated, the way a uh, lot of the ill treatment going on, we can keep defending and saying that our somebody else is even worse. Maybe they're even worse. Who cares? But I'm talking about ourselves, karmically. If, if we are karmically not uh, deserving the great life that we are aspiring, okay, then, you know, then you'll get a stress test idea of where are we heading. And where we are heading, I don't think is that good. And, and, and I'm not saying it openly in the book because the people are not able to handle it. And so I'm just giving them the points and they have to make up their own mind and they have to go and challenge their professors, challenge their parents, challenge the social media, challenge their gurus, challenge their political leaders and say, why didn't you tell us all these things? Where were you? Where were, why were you sleeping all, all, all along? And why are you always running around taking credit for things that you haven't pioneered? 
So I, I'm trying to get the youth woken up, shaken up in a kind of a rebellious way, intellectually rebellious way. That's my closing statement. Thank you, Rajivji. And so we learned that AI is indeed a disruptive technology and that needs to be widely discussed and debated by all sections of the society for the welfare of humanity. And with this book, hopefully that will happen. And we are very grateful for you, Rajivji. Thank you. And thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you all of you. You've asked some very good questions. And I will say one thing. Uh, if you've watched a whole lot of my uh, you know, panel discussions, sometimes the grown-ups with all these degrees and all these fancy uh, positions they have and they're brought to me as experts are not as good as you young people. You're asking more honest questions because you're, you're, you're serious about reading. You actually read the book. I know that for a fact. You're raising issues that are concerning you. Whereas a lot of the other people, because they think they know everything, they, 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 because they think uh, they don't need to read, I mean, they're making a fool of themselves in several of the discussions I've had. You'll be able to tell uh, who's real, uh, who's just uh, make, uh, pretending to be an expert, but don't really uh, have that expertise. So I will encourage you. You may be young. You may be uh, you know, less in your standing in terms of society at this age, but you're doing well because you are willing to learn. Uh, and and I, will, I congratulate you for that. I think you should be an influence on your peers in your, in your circle, in your generation. And you should also challenge the grown-ups, challenge the society, challenge its leadership, because there's nothing wrong. If you look at uh, Adi Shankara challenged all these great guys, thinkers who were much older than him. Uh, Vivekanand did the same. You know, you look at the big heroes in our society at a very young age, they took on people who are much uh, uh, older and, with, and more powerful than, than they were. So do it and uh, wish you all the best. Thanks a lot, Rajivji. Thank you. Thank you.